Welcome to Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast, Episode 12. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, a private pilot sharing my tips and tricks to make the skies a safer place. In today's episode, we'll be discussing aircraft systems. Stay tuned for all this and more in Squawk 5353. It is important to note that in this episode, I'll be specifically talking about the mechanical systems, and I won't be talking about any of the electrical systems. Electrical systems are much too complex to fit into a regular episode with aircraft systems as well. In the future, I will be doing an episode solely dedicated to electrical systems, but today I will just briefly cover them if it is necessary to anything else that I'm talking about. Also in today's episode, I'll be talking specifically about the Cessna 172 Skyhawk. However, many of these concepts can be applied to your own airplane. To find specific information about your airplane, check your POH. Airplane and systems descriptions can be found always in section 7 of your POH. First and foremost, you must understand that the airplane is split up into two parts, the fuselage and the empennage. The fuselage is a conventional formed sheet metal bulkhead, or put simply, a piece of sheet metal wrapped around a specific form. The fuselage is towards the front of the airplane, and it is where the landing gear and wings are attached. In a 172, the wings are externally braced, meaning that they have struts, which is important for supporting the wings which hold up the airplane and contain the mass of the fuel. The wing itself is comprised of the wing surface, the aileron, and the flap. Ailerons are located on the outer part of the wing, and flaps are located on the inner part. The empennage is the rear of the airplane and is the tail assembly. It contains the horizontal stabilizer and the elevator. These control surfaces, too, are made out of sheet metal and are controlled by pilot inputs. On the elevator, there is the trim tab, which helps maintain a specific altitude. Now that we have a general understanding of all the different surfaces and parts of the airplane, we can now look in depth at each of the flight controls. Going back to what we were just talking about, the trim system is a manually operated elevator trim which is controlled by the trim wheel located in the center console. You can use the trim wheel to pitch either nose up or nose down and is controlled by a cable. The rest of the flight control services including the aileron, rudder, and elevator control surfaces, are all manually operated with cables and mechanical linkages, which is controlled by the yoke and the rudder pedals. Your POH should have good diagrams as to how these cables are responsible in controlling your control surfaces. While your rudder pedals obviously control your rudder, they also are responsible for changing the direction of your nose wheel. Just as one would think, use the left rudder pedal to turn left and the right rudder pedal to steer right. When a rudder pedal is depressed, a spring-loaded bungee will turn the nose wheel approximately 10 degrees to either side. The final exterior surface we'd like to look at is the flap system. The flaps are lowered electrically with a screw-like mechanism. Other than the windows or doors, seats or seat belts, the exterior surfaces are often the easiest part of aircraft systems. We are about to move under the cowling or under the hood to see what components make up the engine. Understanding the parts of the engine requires an extensive vocabulary, so I will do my best to explain the terms as I go. Right off the bat, you have to know the difference between your throttle and your mixture. 
throttle is how much the fuel and air mixture gets induced into the engine. As one increases throttle, the RPM will typically increase. Your mixture lever, on the other hand, controls the air to fuel ratio. There are a variety of different engine instruments, most notably the engine temperature, the oil pressure, oil temperature, and fuel flow indicators. These instruments can be displayed in a variety of different ways, but make sure to continue monitoring them during your flight. As you begin to start the airplane, you'll have to become familiar with the ignition and starter system. Ignition takes place with two engine-driven magnetos and two spark plugs in each cylinder. In your Cessna 172, the right magneto fires the lower right and upper left spark plugs, and the left magneto does the opposite, firing the lower left and upper right spark plugs. Normal operation should be completed with both magnetos. Now that your engine is started, it also needs a constant flow of air to maintain the proper air-to-fuel mixture required for flight. This is where the air induction system comes into play. The engine air induction system receives ram air through an intake in the lower front portion of the engine cowling. It then enters something called an air box, where it passes through and enters the engine cylinders. Typically, the air entering the engine is filtered through an air filter on the front of the airplane. However, if that becomes blocked, a spring-loaded alternate air door will open. The air in this alternate air door is unfortunately unfiltered. Because it receives less ram air, you can expect a decrease of power up to about 10%. As your engine fires, it will create exhaust. Exhaust from each cylinder is piped to the muffler and then the tailpipe. This exhaust is often used to heat the cabin, though not directly because it contains carbon monoxide. To cool the engine, ram air from the engine cooling enters through two intakes in the front of the engine cowling. These two intakes are typically right around the center of the propeller. The cooling air is directed around the cylinders and other parts of the engine. In the Cessna 172, there is no manual cowl flap cooling system. It would be useless to talk about the propeller in this episode, as all propellers are different. Some airplanes have variable prop and some have fixed prop. Some are two-bladed, three-bladed, or even four-bladed, and are made up of a variety of different materials. To power your engine, the engine must have fuel. The fuel system, again, is a complex system. In the Cessna 172 and many other modern airplanes, it is equipped with a three-position selector valve, this being the left tank, or the tank from the left wing, right tank, or the tank from the right wing, or both, a combination of both tanks. Make sure to review your POH to know what your total usable fuel is. Although the Cessna 172 holds a total of 56 gallons, only 53 are usable in all flight conditions. Because the Cessna 172 is a high-wing tank, fuel flows powered by gravity and into the reservoir tank. From the reservoir tank, fuel flows through the auxiliary fuel pump, past the fuel shutoff valve, through the fuel strainer, and to an engine-driven fuel pump. From the engine-driven fuel pump, fuel is delivered to the fuel-slash-air control unit where it is metered and directed to the fuel distribution valve or the manifold, which distributes it to each cylinder. Fuel flow into each cylinder is continuous and the flow rate is determined by the amount of air passing through the fuel-air control unit. The fuel quantity indicator uses a float-like system to determine the amount of fuel in each tank. With this indicating system, there is also a warning circuit which can detect low fuel conditions. 
Often, when the airplane is completely filled with fuel, it will read the tank as empty. However, you should just recognize this, and if you shake the airplane, typically the needle will jump up from zero to a full tank reading. Just like drinking out of a water bottle, if you don't let more air into the water bottle, you will be unable to continue to drink after a while. In an airplane, this is known as fuel starvation. Make sure to check your fuel venting system, which is typically located on the left wing. This small hose provides air to both the left and right tank. Each wing and below the engine has one or more sump points in which you are able to complete fuel inspection. The brake system is the only system that is hydraulically activated. Each main landing gear has its own set of brake pads. Each brake is connected by a hydraulic line to a master cylinder attached to each of the pilot's rudder pedals. The brakes are operated by applying pressure to the top of either the left or right set of rudder pedals. Unlike in a car, airplanes have differential braking, meaning that you are able to control both sides of brakes individually without interfering with each other. This permits for a smaller turning radius. The braking system, and especially the brake pads, often deteriorate quickly. It is always good practice to make sure that you are using the brakes as little as possible, making sure that you are not unnecessarily holding them down during taxi operations or takeoff. After an excessive application of the brakes, you may notice some issues with your brakes, most notably them feeling soft or spongy. If the brakes become soft or spongy, pumping the pedals should build back braking pressure. If one brake becomes weak or fails, use the other brake sparingly while using the opposite rudder as required to offset the good brake. Next up, we have the electrical system. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm just going to do a brief overview of the electrical system because there is so much to go in depth on about it. Most GA airplanes are equipped with either a 24 volt or a 14 volt system. In the case of the 172, it is powered by a 60 amp alternator with a 24 volt battery located on the left forward side of the firewall. There are two primary bus bars with an essential bus wired between the two primaries. While this may sound confusing when I speak about it, it's easier to look at a description which can be found in your POH. Understanding the electrical systems by using the images in your POH makes it a lot easier, but yet it is still often difficult. Make sure to take your time while trying to understand the electrical systems and ask questions. Your electrical system is one of the most important systems aboard the airplane. It controls everything from your GPS to your external lights and everything else in between. The cabin is ventilated using normal outside air or heated air using the exhaust from the cylinders. For ventilation, simply pull the cabin air knob out. To raise the air temperature, pull the cabin heat out approximately a quarter inch to a half inch. The more you pull it out, the warmer the airplane will become. Ventilated air is distributed in a variety of outlet holes. However, cabin heat is only let out by the feet of the pilot and co-pilot and near the front windshield as to defrost. The next thing I typically would cover is airplane instruments. However, again, this is a complex topic and I will be making another episode to go more in depth about it in the future. These instrument systems include things such as the pedostatic system and the vacuum gauge system. They all have their own set of procedures and ways of understanding them, which unfortunately I am unable to fit into this week's episode. Finally, the last thing I'd like to talk about is not necessarily a system 
as it is simply a way of mitigating interferences in the cockpit. Static wicks or static dischargers are installed at various points throughout the airframe to reduce interference from precipitation static. Under some severe static conditions, loss of radio signals is possible even with static dischargers installed. Whenever possible, avoid known severe precipitation areas to prevent loss of radio signals. As I've mentioned multiple times, each airplane is going to have its own set of systems and procedures. Make sure to review your POH. It never hurts to sit down with your POH and make sure that you have a complex understanding of all your aircraft systems. Your DPE is more than likely going to ask you about your knowledge of aircraft systems on just about every checkride, beginning with your private pilot checkride all the way to your CFI or even CFII. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, the private pilot podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to check out last week's episode on February Aviation News. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe in whatever platform you're using. This way, new episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Also at this time, I ask that you please consider donating to my Patreon. The show takes a lot of time each week to write, record, and edit would mean the world to me if you were able to financially donate to this show. If you are unable to financially donate, please consider sending this podcast to someone who you think might enjoy it. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, and let's make the skies a safer place.